Hello everyone, I'm Matthew Delvedova and this is The Delhi Podcast. The show features people I find interesting in the world of sports and entertainment, health and fitness, business and startups. We'll discuss a wide range of topics including things like self-improvement and growth, personal journeys, pivotal career moments and much more. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Remember, if you enjoy this content, be sure to subscribe to the Daily Podcast on Apple or wherever else you listen to your podcast. All right, let's get started. Welcome to the Daily Podcast. Very excited for the guest today, David Lockie, uh, play-by-play announcer for the Utah Jazz and podcast host and founder of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. Uh, I at some point in this conversation i'm gonna flip it around because i'm not comfortable with players talk like i'm supposed to be interviewing you it's supposed to go the other way a <laughs> little bit of a role reversal here but uh thanks for doing this how did you uh find commentating the in the bubble from a distance so can i put a bunch of caveats on this before i dig in too deeply so our organization gave us the best chance for success we were set up inside vivin arena our home arena I was set up at basically the equivalent of my exact same broadcast spot, just with nobody in the arena. And we called the games off our big screen. And like Cleveland, we have one of those massive, huge screens. So I wasn't going off small little television or anything. I had the massive screen. So it gave you at least some feeling of like, you could find the detail and you could see most of it. Um, So that's the first thing. We were given as much chance to succeed. And then the second one I would say is there's other people in the world that have real problems that are going on in this COVID-19. And so once I get those two caveats out and I just isolate, it was really hard. It was really, really hard to engage. It was really, really hard to do. Um, I was exhausted, absolutely exhausted after games. Um, And I would say the two biggest plays of the entire run of the eight seeding games and the playoff run the Jazz had, I couldn't call correctly because I couldn't see the whole floor. So uh, Donovan Mitchell takes an eight-second shot clock violation where he walks the ball up the floor. Uh, what had happened was that Rudy Gobert actually gained possession on the rebound, so two seconds had gone off the shot clock. But because I can't see the shot clocks on top of each basket, I never noticed that. So I just thought I would have picked up on the fact that there was close to a shot clock violation. And then the other one is the Mike Conley missed three. Donovan gets stripped, right? Donovan gets stripped. Denver, for no particular reason, decides to take a shot, which they should have never taken. Rudy gets the rebound. My first instinct is, where's Donovan? Right? Because he's on the other end of the floor. I can't see him. The second thing is, what I didn't know was that Mason Plumley had actually made, like, the defensive play of the year. No one's talking about it because everyone watched it this way, where he stayed back with Donovan. So then the outlet had to go to Conley. They got a good look. But both those are circumstances where you're just not seeing the whole floor. Um, I mean, I could go on and on. This is my life, right? Um, I'll, I'll share two other notes for you, Deli. hopefully not boring you too much with this. One is uh, – my essence, and you've spent a little bit of time with me and have felt it, is passion. I feel the fans' passion. Like, that's kind of my whole deal. Like, well, not to have that was really weird. So that when I got excited for a call, it all felt fabricated. 
It felt yeah. like I was faking everything where everything else I've ever done has been pure kind of like, and I have a tendency to get overboard. Kane Fitzgerald has been a victim of a few of these times where I, he's an official in the NBA for those who don't know that name. That was supposed to make Delhi laugh. Um, he, you know, Kane Fitzgerald has been the victim of some of my passion. You know, I, there's, there's times on, and, and so that I'll, I'll go, I'll side away from professional broadcasting into passion to, cause I feel the crowd and the fan. And I didn't have that. Um, the other one I would share with you is I believe, and this is probably pretty detailed, but I believe that most people listen to radio passively. So it's in the background, they're driving, they're doing something else. And so I always call it, you know, Donovan Mitchell writes, I should do Delhi, but you know, uh, Delhi squirts into the lane, layup, good. Matthew Delavadova with the layup with the left hand, you know, and then, and then take it from there as, and if you think about a crowd, a crowd rises up after the play and then the crescendo happens five seconds after a big play. So my call usually would be, you know, Delhi left-hand dribble, squirts by the defender, underhand scoop and a score. Oh, Matthew Delavadova with the left hand, puts the Cavaliers up by four, you know, and stretch it out with the crowd. But there was no crowd. So it wasn't until I went back and re-listened to all of my games. They were awful to start, just awful. And I kind of began to figure out, like, what's wrong? So I actually went back and started listening to regular games. Really? To figure out what the difference was. And one of them was that when Donovan was making a play, Donovan, off the bounce, three, good. That's all I was doing because there was no crowd. There's nothing else. And so if you're passively listening, you suddenly were like, good. Well, what happened? So you have to, you know, Donovan, Donovan Mitchell, you know. And so I, I started to adapt and change. And, and of course – you know, seven games into the playoffs, we were done, unfortunately. Um, Just when I, you were getting the hang of it, right? Well, for, for a player, how many games into a season are you comfortable? What is the game where you're playing, you're like, okay, my body's right, my mind's right, I'm used to the speed. What's your game number in a regular season? Well, well, usually I'm coming off playing with the Aussie national team, so I'm, like, ready to go, and I think that's a huge advantage. But I think it's more the team aspect and concept of, you know, every even if you come back with the same team, there's different pieces, you know, a few tweaks to the offense and defense. And it can take anywhere from 10, 20, 25 games to really get a rhythm of even like the, the subbing patterns, who you're playing with, um, what unit on the floor, um, what plays to call, like who are you trying to get the ball to and where. So um it's a similar thing. It, it just takes time. So could you hear your voice like echoing around the arena? Yeah. So we were on one side of the arena and Craig Bullerjack and Thurl Bailey, our TV crew were on the other side and the old, and there was nobody else in the arena. Uh, our sideline reporter was in one corner and our two social media people were in the arena and the jumbo, tr the big screen was in between us. So like when Donovan went off for his 50, we'd go to commercial break and we'd start yelling back and forth to each other. Holy cow, Donovan's amazing. <laughs> like, um, but you could kind of hear us every now and then, but we didn't, they did a great, uh, again, to my, to my bosses, like who built it, they really built us in a circumstance where you couldn't do your best work. Like as most people are right now, we, you know, I couldn't do my best work, but I, they gave us a chance to do the best work we could do under the circumstance. No, that, that definitely makes sense. And then were you calling off the same feed as what we were watching on TV? 
Yeah, and so the one thing that was actually fun for some listeners is you could link radio and TV, you could sync radio and TV. So if you actually think I'm crazy enough that I'm worth listening to, you could do that. And then the, the effects mics were great. I mean, I'm sure you've heard all the stories, the 32 mics under the floor, yeah. and all the things the NBA's done. You could hear stuff. We tried to fiddle with taking the full feed. So ESPN and TNT have a little bit of a different feed. And you can hear it when it goes dead silent. That's because somebody called somebody a name. Um, like when you're listening to the game and it goes dead silent for a few seconds, it's because somebody swore at somebody. And they've done a really nice job of blocking it out. They were a little less willing to give us without that same protection that same feed so we didn't get the voices we got the squeaks and the bounces um i called free throws very differently because you could actually hear the guy ball bounce the free throws with the 32 mics under the floor and you could so like donovan would finish his three bounces and i would say three bounces deep breath free throw because you could hear the bounces in a different way there was just different stuff you could hear you really it was calling a very different game i mean probably no different than if you're playing i don't know what the example would be as a player but like i don't want to sound too strange but to me calling a game's an art right that's my that's my yeah. passion, my art what i do and you just it, it and i'm not gonna lie like i i probably went where everybody else did with COVID. i i was in a pretty not uh, like we gotta be careful with these things like in my own realm i was in a dark place of just like i can't do it this is gonna suck i'm gonna be awful they're you know and, and then finally you warm, you, you, you got it going. I had a really good friend of mine who kind of jumped me the night before and got me out of my own personal and said like, you know, you got to call it the best you can. Like people are out listening. They want it. And, um, um, and then do your, but unfortunately we had eight seeding games and seven playoff games. And I would tell you 22 is always the number I talk about in the NBA season really? when I hit, well, I used to do the WNBA. We had 36 games, and I always felt like it took, like, more than half the games to get used to calling, and that speed's not the same as the NBA. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting. And I know we were on a uh, kind of conference Zoom call uh, doing a little speaking thing. I think it was back in May or June, and you're talking about how excited you were to, to finally get some basketball back on, on – uh, on TV and be able to call it, right? And I think on that Zoom call, like the dark place I'm talking about came out, right? Like that I knew I got very emotional about the fans, right? Because yeah. I know that my essence as an announcer is those fans. And it was it's very clear to me that that's not, you know, if you read Fauci's interview in Business Insider today, he's talking 2022 is the first time, but he's still not talking about a lot of fans in the crowd at that point. So, you know, I think we're going to be at 25% arena fills and things of that nature um, coming up here. And, and that's not the same juice. I, mean, I just think, you know, you saw, I, I got, for those who don't know, uh, Deli and I were on a call together and I, I, I got broken up about it because I think it was the first time I had ever kind of expressed out loud, which I knew in my heart of hearts, which was, and this was still very early in the process, but I knew in my heart of hearts, we're not having that full arena fan experience again for, I still don't know when. And I, I got very upset about it. Cause I think that's, to me, that's what we do, right? We bring communities together. We bring people together. We, we, you, you're the show I get to, I have the easiest job in the world. I relay brilliance and um, I get to do it the best I can. Yeah. No, I think everyone's looking forward to that point when there's a full arena and there's a game winner or an exciting play and everyone in the crowd rises as one. And those are the moments, you know, that, uh, make not make it worth it but i guess 
it's part of the fun of, of playing. Obviously, winning is number one, but to get those highs, it's like you, you can't get that any anywhere else. You can imagine Conley's shot a gun in without crowd noise. Yeah. Probably well, one of the, like, three biggest, five plays, biggest plays in franchise history, and you'd have no crowd noise to it. It would have been just so weird. Even, like, uh, Luca's step back three for the win. Um, right. Obviously, they were all excited, but it's just got to be bizarre to be in there well, and, and if not you have – so Chuck Cooperstein is the announcer for the Dallas Mavericks. Great, probably top elite level announcer in the league. One of the one of the best there is. And if you hear his call, he's calling it from the Dallas Mavericks locker room. <laughs> That's where their setup was. And you can literally hear him stand up because the sound starts to reverberate off the roof differently than, <laughs> than the and then you can hear how hollow it becomes as he gets more excited. Like you can really hear his call is great. His content of his call is great, but you can really hear that it's not a natural environment where it's being called. Yeah, that's bizarre. Uh, so how did you first get into uh, calling play-by-play radio? So, I mean, the two quick answers on that one is one is, so my dad was in the ski business in Utah. I grew up in California. And somewhere between, we're not entirely sure, right? You didn't write it down. Somewhere between nine and 11, and we know nine because that's when the Jazz moved to Utah. We were driving on a street listening to the game, and I literally said to my dad, I'm going to be that guy. Like, I want to be that guy. It was hot really? Utah Jazz play-by-play announcer. Um, so I played a little baseball. I played some Division three college baseball, but I had an ERA like a California zip code. And so it was time to move on. And so, you know, I think – but I had also like, I was, I used to play wiffle ball in the backyard or what, you know, and I'd announce the game. Um, I was an only child and I would have a pregame show and then I would go out and play football in my backyard and drop back to pass and throw the out pattern. Oh, it's high and it's intercepted. And, you know, I would just, I uh, played board games. You're still young enough. So there were these things, Matthew, that were these games that were on the table and they think that's what have electronics. And, I love board games. I'm a, I love Catan, Monopoly, all those. <laughs> so there were all these sports board games, Status Pro and Stratomatic and all. And I would, I would actually, I, this makes me sound crazy, but like I took the Montreal Expos because I always thought they should have been doing better than they were. And so I would like play out their whole season. I'd have a pregame show and a postgame show. And my buddy and I would like, this was around 1980. The computer had just come out. We would actually write a newsletter about our team and, and then print it out and take it to each other. Um, so to some extent, this was, you know, I, I had every advantage in life. I want to be like really clear, like in the day and age of white privilege and those kind of conversations, like I had it all, like probably a bigger story if I'd screwed this up than the fact that I actually fulfilled what I said I wanted to do at nine, 10 or 11 years old. But this is um, what I want to do. I, I will tell you that you, um, you can get your law abiding parents to do illegal things when you are a prepubescent child with a voice that's not mature yet and every game you watch on television you announce they're suddenly willing to cut the cable <laughs> wire it into your bedroom and give you a tv in your own room so that they don't have to hear mark mcguire with another home run <laughs> So, so you've got thousands and thousands of reps from from a young age, whether it was your own imagination or or calling actual actual games on TV. Yeah, I mean, it's just I kind of, I, you know, 
someone like asked me like, well, what else would you do? I, I don't actually have that answer. Like, uh, I don't actually know what else. I mean, there was a period of time I wanted to be a civil rights lawyer. Like I went to Washington DC and um, so, I, I mean, I kind of thought like, oh, I'll go to law school, I'll be a civil rights lawyer. And then my dad actually just kind of quickly like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like you've only talked about one thing your entire life. Like don't get lost in this. Um, yeah. I think I think that's a pretty cool thing um, that's even more possible, right, in this day and age with the internet and being able to reach so many people, even if they're not in your, you know, town or city or wherever you live, you can find enough people that are interested in your niche thing to to hopefully be able to make a job or a living off it. So it's interesting because for young broadcasters, society is going both directions. So one is that because of, uh, you know, radio globalization, you know, you've now got a woman in LA who's voicing the Spokane, Washington radio station, right? Yeah. Like, and so suddenly the, the, the up, the young starting positions are gone mm. at the same. And so that's really hard at the same time. Like, like I sent a note during COVID to all of our young broadcast people that work through, we have a program with a, a mentorship program. I run through the jazz. And I was like, you guys should be going to every local high school, finding a way to call games right now. Cause the parents can't go to games, right? Cause fans can't go to games. So there's like this incredible demand all of a sudden on high school sports broadcasting. So if yeah. you're a young broadcaster right now, you should be calling every golf match, every volleyball match, every soccer match, every football game, every baseball game, because and putting it up on YouTube because you get the reps and there's actually an audience. And frankly, you could probably make some money off it. That, that's an incredible idea. Have some people been doing that? I think there's been some, I mean, I think there's been for football, there's an infrastructure already. And so someone's got to take the next step where they decide, okay, well, I'm going to call the girls volleyball team because that's 11 families and they care. And we're going to do that. And frankly, I get the reps for it. So yeah. um, I, I, hopefully people are going to, kids are going to take advantage. If I, if I was a high, if I was, in high school right now, I guess, you know, if I wasn't playing baseball, I would have been calling all my schools basketball and football and soccer games. Yeah, no, that's an incredible idea. Whether, whether it was the prepubescent voice still in high school or not, could be strongly debated. <laughs> it might have switched sometime in there, right? <laughs> Maybe uh, in the middle of place. <laughs> how, how did you get your first, I guess, um, professional break or first gig then in, in the play-by-play? So uh, while I was in college, a buddy of mine, Mark Teitelman, was my roommate. He actually has gone on to win the Emmy uh, for Best Sporting Event as a producer-director. The Women's World Cup Soccer a few years ago. Wow. Fox won, and he won the Emmy. He's also – he's a brilliant screenwriter. Does, uh, he's been an NFL producer, uh, director. He and I created something. We were at Occidental College in Los Angeles, which is most well-known for Barack Obama transferring from there to go to Columbia. It's always good when your most well-known alumni is a transfers, but um, he, so sorry, Oxy. Uh, we started something called Tiger Sports Radio and called really just did what I said, right? We called the yeah. football, basketball and baseball games. We got alumni to donate money. Uh, my dad actually, who's really one of the smartest people I've ever known, my graduation present out of high school was he bought me a Sunday night, 1030 at night show. I had found out that you could do this and uh, done the legwork. And then he bought me 13 weeks of a, of a show uh, at 1030 at night on Sundays on this radio station, KIV in LA. So that's how I got my tapes. Yeah. And then honestly, I drove across country. Like this was before. So this is 1992. So the internet's not really going. Um, so I like 
went home, lasted about as long as every college graduate wants to at home. So that was like three weeks. And in those three weeks, I sent out a letter across the Western United States, like, hi, this is who I am. Here's my tape. And I'll be in your office on this day. Cause I had driven, figured out my pattern. And so I just drove across the Western United States for probably a month and a half. Um, you know, one level dedication, the other left to go to white privilege, right? Like I had the financial resources to go stay in super eight motels every night. I, won't, I don't want to like, I don't want this story to be like, oh, what a great effort. Like there's still certain out elements of this story that are certainly, you know, I was very fortunate that I had the wherewithal to be able to do these things. Um, but I did, I drove across country. Um, my only common th threads of every day were super eight motels and Rush Limbaugh because he was the only like nationally syndicated radio. And while I may not agree with a lot of what Rich Rush Limbaugh had to say, I learned how to do brilliant radio. He, he is the great, one of the great radio, you know, artists okay. of all time, uh, whether it was crinkling paper or padding the desk to give you a visual on radio of what was around him or, you know, selling his network as whatever he called it. The, what, he had some phrase, I can't think of it now. Um, so I did that and I got no job. So I drove across the, for like, and I then. Wait, um, how, how did these meetings go? Did you even get a meeting when you knocked on the door? Did they know that you, who you were? I got meetings, um, you know, you would, on the drive, I'd pull over on a payphone. I'd like go find a place on a payphone on the drive and like call them and be like, hey, I'll be there in three days. I'll be there in four days. Like I had it like, you know, scheduled out, but you're not, you didn't have cell phones. You didn't have, so it really kind of crazy different world. Some of them went well. I should have known when I got to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and the guy I was going to meet had been fired by the time I got there, um, that this was a crazy business. Um, I did, but I didn't get a job. I ended up uh, going back home, lasting again for about as long as I, as most people do. Uh, waited till the snow started to fall, drove to Salt Lake, and I would teach skiing during the day because it's at this point I did need to make some money. And I would drive, there was a new sports radio station in town. I drove down to sat in the lobby every day until they hired me. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, how many days did you sit in the lobby and how did that conversation go? Because obviously you would have asked them for a job or to do I mean, something. I think, it was, I think it was a few weeks and then Sunday night seemed to be my sweet spot. So then they gave me like a Sunday night show with this guy, Barry Jepson. I don't know whatever happened to him. I sure feel sorry for him that he had to deal with me on that. Um, and this radio station deli was like, so then I got the morning job show, but it was a unique job because you had turned on the radio station. We didn't have a night signal. It was, and the, and the room we were in was like a closet, really just a very narrow closet. Like there was the radio controls in front of me. And if I pushed the chair back too far, I'd hit my head. Um, luckily they had sound like padding on the wall. So it didn't hurt. That was about the room length. We had no delay. Do you know what delay is? So that's where if you take a collar and they start swearing, there's a, you can hit a dump button. Well, we had no delay. People began to figure out they could call up and be like, beep, 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 and like get whatever they wanted on the air. And then I would work that shift from six to nine, drive up, teach skiing, lineup was for ski schools at 1030, drive back down and I'd work the seven to 11 o'clock shift and turn off the radio station at 11 because we didn't have a night signal, maybe seven to 10, then come back and turn it back on the next day. So that's my first long way to get to what my first professional job was. And I was awful. I was, I, I think back at some of those shows, I didn't, I didn't understand it. I, I was trying to show my knowledge every day instead of doing good radio.
Yeah, I mean, well, that's like 30 years later, right, to, to where we are at, at this point. And then how do you go from that to becoming the jazz play-by-play? Because I, I have to imagine that that is obviously the ultimate for, for a yeah. play-by-play call. So I, um, I'll, I'll do quick on this one. Uh, I, went to see, I went to Seattle uh, as a talk radio show host. I, I um, went to Seattle, and in Seattle, I became the Seattle Storm announcer. With, for oh. the WNBA with no. the great Lauren Jackson. Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. So I knew Lazzy. I knew Lazzy when she was 19. Wow. She's one of my all-time favorites. Greatest at the time was she was really Dirk Nowitzki of the women's game. She was the seven six five, which is seven one for the women's game. Played inside outside, revolutionized the game. Was the best player in the world. Um, and we won a title, uh, or they won a title, but I got the ring. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, there was a period of time where I think everyone thought the Australian women could beat the, had a chance to beat the U.S. women there for a while. They never got it done, but I. I, uh, I, I think they did in uh, 06. We, I'm going to have to check that. Okay. World Championship. I, I, all right. I'll have to, they, I didn't think they did, but we'll have to check. Because my oh, other okay. close friend is Sue Bird, and she would tell me they didn't. Really? <laughs> so I'll have to check it. Um, so we had Sue and Lauren. So I did the storm. I then got the Seattle Supersonics job uh, for a year and lost it. Uh, got caught in the middle of the Sonics moved to Oklahoma City. Was really pro keeping the team in Seattle, and that wasn't so well thought of by the new ownership. So I'd gotten my dream job of an NBA play-by-play job, and I lost it within a year. Uh, I then didn't have a job, so we moved to Utah. Uh, really? And, um, a little bit of this is also how Locked On all started. Uh, so I moved to Utah and then replaced my childhood idol, Hot Rod Hundley, as the radio voice of the jazz. Wow. That's uh, an incredible journey to, uh, to get to that point. So at what point um, between all of this did you first start your podcast, uh, the Locked On podcast? And then why did you start it? So you actually could probably relate to this a little bit because if I remember correctly – Oh, no, wait, I might be getting you mixed up with Patty because I get my St. Mary's Australia. You, have you ever been released? Um, no. That, so you, that was Patty bad. got released by Portland, right? Yeah. Um, so, sorry, my bad. St. Mary's Australian point guard route. I had confused with Patty there for a second. There's a lot um, of us at St. Mary's. So that was a, sorry. That's so, uh, getting fired sucks. Just to let everyone know. Like... I don't jo- run. I, I kind of don't like to run. Um, I ran like 12 miles that day. I got fired. My wife wasn't home. I came home and went running. And I thought if I just kept running like Forrest Gump, it would never actually be real. And I wouldn't have to walk into my house and tell my wife that I got fired. Um, so that really was. So the answer to the podcast network is actually back to that day. Like if I want to get deep and philosophical, the worst days of your life lead to the best days of your life. When I took the Utah jazz play-by-play job, like I didn't want to get fired again. Like I'd had my dream once and lost it. How do I keep it? I'm following hot rod Hundley. I'm who's was the only radio announcer in the history of the Utah jazz. I'm not, he's the Joe Tate of Cleveland, right? Like I'm not going to be as good as he was. There's no chance I'll ever be as beloved as he is. So what can I do? And what I decided was, well, I'll, I'll do like, I didn't know what it was. Like I'll do a YouTube, I'll do a Google hangout, but I'll communicate with our fans 365 days a year instead of 82 
That'll be my signature. My signature is that our relationship will go all year long. We'll talk the game and then our relationship will extend from every morning when we hang out to the play-by-play of basketball games. Or my actual thought was, hey, TV world, more prominent than radio, if I can touch them throughout the day, even if they're watching Craig Buller, Jack Thurl Bailey on television, then they'll get, and I bring them some note or something like, oh yeah, he mentioned that Delhi's a 45% corner three shooter. We got to cover the corner three. How are we leaving that open? He keeps busting us on the corner three. They think about something I gave them while they're watching the TV, then you're enhancing their experience and you're connecting with them. So the podcast really originated out of, I don't want to get fired again. And what's the modern world where an announcer interacts with a fan? Really? So that, that's really interesting. So you started it on, on YouTube, Google Hangouts, like oh, this is super early to podcast. Since we're just telling stories, we were on Google Hangout. I don't know if you remember Google Hangout. You used to have the 10 little people on the bottom. And that was really good till the guy exposed himself. And then we had to get rid of that because that was a really big mistake in our history. So, yeah, we have like every really awful moment that you can possibly ever have along the way. Um, and then eventually, you know, podcasting became more prominent. So we started, I mean, I think Locked on Jazz, which was started called Tip Off, is now about 11 or 12 years old. Really? Wow. Because, I mean, how did you first even learn that podcasting was, was an option? Because, it, I mean, it's obviously been around for a while, but it's really blown up in the last five years. So back, I mean, I actually did, despite my verbose never shutting up talking here, um, I did actually leave some things out. So I was the program director of an all sports station at 25 years old. Um, and built it from the scratch. So kind of one of my other things I had done in my career was at 25, way earlier than I was ready for, built a sports radio station with two other buddies, Ryan Hatch, who's now one of the lead radio guys, Kevin Graham and Ryan Hatch, who are now two of the most prominent radio people in the country. So you know why it worked. It wasn't because I actually did it. It's because I had two really smart people around me. And we built this radio station. And so that still was kind of always a part of who I was. Um, and I had moved away from that. And so I think I was just watching the industry and pretty clear of, and if you think about when we launched Locked On fully in 2016, I had this unique experience that I actually had, I was 30, 46 years old with close to almost, you know, 26 years of radio experience. Like I, we built up Locked, uh, the radio in 1996, 95 is when I get hired to run um, a sports radio station. So in 2016, it's been 20 years. I've got a, like a, for a young guy, hopefully if you think you don't think 46 is young, but um, <laughs> for a young guy, young. At, the, at the time I had 20 years of depth. So I think that that helped at least a little bit in the process. Well, having all that experience, but then being, I guess, young enough or tech savvy enough to be able to capitalize on, on the technology that's available. Right. It makes sense, though, if you think about, like, it's on demand, right? Like, talk radio, which still has its realm because it's live, right? So trade deadlines and moments where there's live things and news, podcasting, that's the problem with podcasting, right? You and I could be talking about something right now. Something happens and we're out of date or we don't react to it. Radio still has its role. But other than those moments, the fact that you can get your Utah Jazz, Cleveland Cavaliers, Los Angeles Laker news on demand is important if you're a Philadelphia sports fan and you're listening to WIP, one of the great sports stations in the country, when you turn it on, you don't have any control of what they're talking about, right? Yeah. They could be talking about their night out on Broad Street. They could, 
in all likelihood, frankly, with male talk radio at this point, they could be talking about, you know, Beyonce's new album for all, you know, or they could be talking the Phillies and you could be wanting them to talk about the Eagles. So what we've created is the ability to get your team on demand in short bits as quickly as you possibly can. And now you, you, on the website, it says over 150 plus different podcasts, NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, college sports, and some fantasy stuff, right? And locked on AFL, Delhi. <laughs> Australian Football League, too. Calm the pies. We, uh, yeah, I think we're going to sneak in the eight there and hopefully uh, be able to make a little bit of a run. You're going to have to listen to Josh Lloyd and Kane Pittman, our two Australian NBA guys who wanted to launch that show. And so we let them do they, We did it. So we're actually international now with our delving into Australian football. And some of the fans want like individual team shows. I was like, I'm not sure the audience is big enough for that, but we'll see. Not, not yet anyway, right? Not That's yet. right. Yeah. But, well, so who's, who's your club? Cause I always have Joe Ingalls telling me about his club. Joe's got like, Joe's best friend is the he, reason he, he wears seven. I think. Well, he, he's switching it around and I, I don't know what he's doing right now. The but I'm the Collingwood Magpies. You can see, uh, where is it, my scarf, and I got my black and white footy oh, there. So, how, about, how about Bogut? Who's he got? Uh, Bogut is Essendon, uh, the Bombers. Okay. Paddy's uh, Adelaide, Adelaide Crows. Dante is uh, the Bombers. Um, yeah, Ryan Brockoff is Geelong, but I became a Collingwood supporter, actually, um, the grand final, like our Super Bowl is always in September, like end of September. Um, and uh, I was three weeks old. I had my Collingwood beanie on and, and my scarf and uh, watched Collingwood win its first premiership in 32 years. So my dad had to wait 32 years, I think, to see um, to see one again. And I had to wait three weeks. So a bit of a lucky <laughs> charm there. Have they got one since? 2010. All right. So, so I've seen two, which, you know, it's, it's pretty good. Um, but we'll, we'll see how they go this year. How, how did you go from having your own, just a single podcast to wanting to do a podcast network? I mean, you had the experience, um, so you knew how to do it. But how did you get that process started? So I, I think there's two answers here. Um, you know, if I'm being really honest, I think I wanted to prove I could start a company like on a personal level, like calling yeah. play by play is great and doing all those things. And I had a weird, I had a little bit of a weird thing going on that I was, had kind of knocked off every list on my, I accomplished every goal that I ever had. I was the Utah jazz radio play by play announcer. That's what I had told my dad. I was going to be at somewhere about nine, 10 or 11. And I still had a long way to go. So it, on a personal note, I need to do something else yeah. uh, on a business level. I, I did, I think what most people do, I, uh, I looked at the market, I looked at what was going on and I thought everyone was doing it wrong. Um, you know, as arrogant as that sounds, but everyone was doing these hour and a half long pieces. Um, they were doing once a week and I was watching it going, wait a sec, this is just a different form of audio delivery. It's not actually different than radio. It's just a different form of audio delivery. And so people's commute times weren't changing. People's listening habits weren't changing. They were just getting it from a different device. So if you're a sports talk radio fan, you listen every day, you listen generally at the same times and your commute time's about 21 to 22 minutes. So we built podcasts that air every day, Monday through Friday. So you can get them on, 
And the other one that was going on is that podcasting was a computer desktop. Uh, it wasn't in your cars yet. Like that was the one, and it still isn't really. That's the next step. As all these, you know, you heard Audi just came out with something new where they're having a hybrid with iHeartRadio in the cars. Like this is the next step for the industry. And it's good for us for, this, for those reasons. So we were going to, you know, and frankly, we're 28 to 30 minutes because we need another ad break, right? Like it's still about revenue. Uh, yep. But our Major League Baseball shows are only 15 minutes. Uh, with them playing every single day. And really the fact that if you're talking about a game Tuesday, talking about Monday night's game, it's going to be dead by Tuesday at seven o'clock. We just went to 15 minutes to make it even easier and more digestible. Um, so daily, 28 to 30 minutes on demand, boom, coming at you. And that, so I just thought there was a gap in how the world was doing it. And we are, you know, to be, to be boastful for a second, we are, to the best of our knowledge, really the only podcast network is made local podcasting a revenue source for hosts right now. Our hosts are, some of our hosts are making money. Some aren't making a lot, but some are making some real money. And there are not a lot of local networks that have their hosts getting paid right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the costs are so low, right, to, to record and, and do it that quick and then if you group it all together and you're doing the advertising it's um it, it definitely makes sense how do you get you know those local people to join the network that has been really hard um and there's not a script there's not an answer right um you know there's no nike hoop summit of the top level talent that i'm going to find there's no euro cup or international games where i'm going to scout um every market's a little different and some we've had more success with our first run at NFL. I blew. Um, I, I missed who we were hiring in the NFL. I had a vision of what I thought we were doing. It didn't work. We had to rebuild the NFL network a little bit. Uh, yeah. That ended now very successfully. Uh, but we, we, I blew that to start. Uh, so it's not been a script. It's been just trying to find the right person in each marketplace um, and do the best we can in that regard. Yeah. How many people come and pitch you uh, podcasts that they want to do, like like the boys wanting to do the AFL one? Uh, we get them, we get them a lot. Um, we're pretty defined in who we are and what our brand is. We're pretty defined in what we've been successful in selling and not selling. And so we're not just launching. We're not going to launch three 49er podcasts. We're not going to launch three Lakers podcasts. We're going to launch one. Yeah. Um, We'll launch more national shows on top. We've got a few NBA shows. John Hollinger, former NBA general manager, does a show with Nate Duncan. We have our national NBA show. We have a different show called Rejecting the Screen, which is a little different. So we, we'll, we'll launch multiple, um, you know, when you and Joe decide you need to talk basketball instead of entrepreneurship and do a <laughs> podcast, come call me. Um, we'll launch some of those. But we have a pretty good understanding of if we're launching – another how sales work and we won't launch it if we don't think the sales will work. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then um, what kind of got me interested because, you know, I'm in getting into venture capital and angel investing and different things like that. You, you raised um, some venture capital money. Can you explain the decision-making and the process um, for that? So I actually had this kind of big moment in time two years ago where it was clear, like, oh my gosh, I've actually built something. And it was running out of this office and it was fly by night and on the back of a napkin. And my wife was doing the payroll and the voice work. And I like, it was just like, we had just put it together. And it was just 
you know, like growing. Like I joked that I started the thing with the hope to make enough money to pay for my kids' athletics. Um, just because that was such a burden. Um, and then it was a real company. And so I added a partner uh, named Carl Weinstein, who's now the COO, who had an incredible background with entrepreneurship. And he also had been in radio as a former program director and was vice president of marketing for the Mariners at one point and had built his own companies. And, had, and so he really has taken us from all these cute, fun stories about my visions and my dreams. None of them could have had any sustainable lasting power to them. And so he's taken the company from you know, my wackiness to a real company that now, you know, has a finance department, has a social media department. And we went and raised our first kind of round of funding. Um, and the kind of the thought process on the funding was, um, if I was going to be involved, I still wanted to be in control. So that was really important to me. Um, I wanted us to stay inside of our realm. I didn't think we were trying to go compete with um, there's a concept of blue ocean versus red ocean. We, we have a pretty blue ocean still um, being local daily sports podcasting. And I, I wanted to stay inside of that. Um, we do have some things in our thing where we could go acquire some big name shows and add, you know, a marquee name or two, if it's the right person, we think it will add our profile. We now have that. Um, but there was just a need to build uh, we just have 160 podcasts. So we've used it to build a social media staff. We've used it to build up. The biggest thing we've done is we brought our sales staff in house. So we now sell all of our own advertising instead of having it outsourced. Um, and then we have a support staff for each of our, we call them channels has coordinators on top of them. So we've, we've just built a real company. Let me read. Carl has built a real company. Um, and I've been along for the ride for that part. No, that that's really interesting. And then where do you, like, what's your vision or your dream? Um, you know, looking the next five years the loft on that one. So I've, got two, I've got two metrics that I'm trying to hit. Um, I'll keep those private if you don't mind. Yeah, like, no, that's um, completely fine. I have a list. I, we have a, uh, and, and, and if we hit those two metrics, and I think we might be able to do it in three years, we would be a very sustainable company where we don't, we'd just be making a lot of money and everybody be happy and the host would be happy and we'd be happy. And I think we can do it. Uh, we're on pace to do it. Um, so that's my, you know, uh, I'm not ignorant of the fact that we're still now, you know, used to be in my Park City, Utah office out of the back of a napkin and now Carl's modernized us, but I'm perfectly aware that there's eight to 20 companies out there that could probably take us from being, you know, a small entity or, I mean, we're not that small anymore. We're at 8 million listens a month. We're probably the fifth biggest sports podcast network in the country, but who could, like, I'm not like, I'll just use an example. Right. So, the Steelers play the Chiefs on CBS television. Well, like if Jim Nance suddenly says, by the way, if you want more on the Chiefs, go to Locked On Chiefs and more on the Steelers, go to Locked On Steelers. It's a different game, right? We yeah. don't have that mechanism. There's 10 or 20 companies out there that as the right partner can change who we are. I'm not, I'm not trying to be ignorant of that. And, you know, and I know that our invest, like, you know, we've been asked, are you available? And, by people and the answer like is no we're not building the company to ever be sold i i have my two metrics i want to hit i think we can hit them in three years we'd be a very viable company with a lot of income coming in and everybody be really happy um but on the other end um you know i think the minute as you know as a venture guy the minute you take venture money 
you're not turning down the wrong price because you got a bunch of people that invested in your company and want out, right? Like they want their payoff. So let's not be ignorant of where we are. Let me ask you a question. I think it's, I'm fascinated by guys like yourself getting into venture. Um, Brent Jones of the 49ers has done a huge, has a huge fund in the Bay Area, um, you know, and, and has a bunch of, I, I'm doing what I did because this is all I know, right? So I was a radio guy that's turned into a podcast guy. Yeah. You guys are coming out of the professional athlete world with incredible contacts because of your name value, pretty substantial wealth because of the value you bring as players. How do you know where you want to invest and what your niche is going to be in investing as you venture into it? Still learning a lot about it. Uh, I've been doing it for the last three or four years. Um, first leaned on my financial advisors who um, that's how I learn about venture capital. I didn't really know it existed until um, my financial advisors started talking about having a small allocation to it. I asked a lot of questions to them, uh, one of them to explain everything to me. Um, they introduced me to a few people, um, got connected to a few more who introduced me to more and it just kept going and going. And I've just really enjoyed the learning from, you know, people like yourself, like you're so passionate about, radio podcasting play-by-play and that's the people i want to spend my time with and learn about podcasting from you and um space satellites from somebody else and water testing from someone else and that that is what really interests me and um so i just do more early stage stuff right now um with no specific vertical do you there's a grind to an 82 game schedule that i think you and i are both well aware of that I think the average fan doesn't quite or listener understand right like there's really something about game 37 in Oklahoma City on the third game of a road trip you've been around those players that are able to find the juice on those nights you're one of them right you're still diving on the floor is that what you're looking for is those type of because you know that the entrepreneurial stretch is the same as that 82 game grind, right? There, there's a game 40, 37 in Oklahoma city in the part of this process where you've got to just get yourself through it. So do you find yourself looking for those type of teammates? Definitely. And I think it's, I mean, really hard to assess after a few meetings, you know, what, what somebody's about. And I think even teammates, you, you don't really know until the pressure is on, you're on the road, you're down in by 15 in that game, 37 in the third quarter. It's like, are we going to dig in and, you know, try to win this game or are we letting go of the rope? So I think um, obviously that's what I'm trying to look for and see if, if they're, you know, all in and, and just going to scrap and be able to figure it out. But it, it's really hard to assess, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we've had to do hiring and hiring's hard, right? Um, yeah. And harder today because you're either harder or better today. I haven't decided about not meeting people in person, whether it's um, a good thing or a bad thing, actually. Yeah. I have mixed feelings on that. Most of the people that anyone we hire almost all of their interaction won't be in paper in person. We're a virtual company before COVID. Um, so the fact that I used to fly out into a town to interact with someone and then I felt comfortable with them, which actually I think then has all sorts of flaws in your hiring practices when you feel comfortable, um, whether or not that actually leads to the right hire or not. It's an interesting process as, as now you're trying to do things 
remotely, but actually all of our employees are doing stuff remotely anyway. So I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, same on the investing side, you're trying to get to know somebody off Zoom or um, things like that. It's like, it, it's tough to, to get a read sometimes, but sometimes you one just, the, you know. One of the iCollective, I don't know if you heard, one of the iCollective uh, uh, Zoom calls was about the new VC world and how you're going to have to figure out off zoom whether you're willing to give someone millions of dollars i was like whoa i'm not writing checks that big but i mean that's that's a whole different dynamic for them especially with it being so i guess centralized in san francisco and the bay area and now it's just just spread out all over um i know we're almost uh, out of time i gotta mention that australia did win the 2006 uh world championship so they didn't get it done in the olympics but the world champs the opals got it done all right, let me just – Sandy Brondello, Tully Bevilacqua, Lauren Jackson, Susie Bakovich, Penny Taylor. Who else have I – do I owe an apology? Uh, probably Michelle Timms might have been on that roster at that point. I apologize for forgetting the 2006 World Championships. My bad. A lot of legends on that list. Um, where do you see podcasting and – radio going in the future because you obviously were very early to it and even just having the compressed podcast for the commute times like not a lot of people are thinking like that where where do you see it going in the future so unfortunately i see it going more centralized i think the individual podcaster is going to have a really really hard time uh i they're gonna have a hard time uh breaking through to get an audience number that's significant because of the proliferation of podcasting. I think they're going to have a hard time in t without that audience number getting in front of any advertiser. Um, as podcastings expand, it's going to take a network of podcasts to go in front of a brand advertiser or a direct results advertiser to be able to have enough mass that it's worth their time to communicate with you. So I do think, you know, that where we all started is not going to be where we end that that individual podcaster that was able to do that show if they, if you weren't a first mover and you don't have that audience i think it's going to be very difficult for someone to build that audience up they're going to have to get inside of networks and then the question is on the next step are those networks just going to be spotify iheartradio.com intercom um you know apple and something else or are they going to be those guys and then the locked ons and the the next level behind that you know or are and and so i think that's going to be a really kind of interesting of how how consolidated does it all become um and then inside of that consult the same thing happens like i hate to say it but we talked about the spokane washington fm disc jockey no longer has a job because the woman in la is now voicing that track like that's going to be that's going to be hard. I think that same thing is going to actually happen. It's just going to happen a lot faster because technology makes everything happen faster. I mean, podcasting. And then, you know, I think there'll be some melding of live streaming radio podcasting that it's all going to kind of be, but it's going to be, it's all on demand and it's what you want at the time. And the idea that you wait to hear your radio host at three o'clock in the afternoon for the afternoon drive show is a pretty outdated concept. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And then, Lastly, any tips for a rookie podcaster like me? I've really enjoyed starting at, you know, zero and, and just trying to learn along the way. And uh, probably no one better to ask that question to than you. So I think the first thing is you have to know exactly what you're doing. You, you, 
you know, the, the rule, my dad was a brilliant marketing guy, like with a Harvard and Stanford degree, right? Like he's elite level brain. And he used to get really frustrating during the dot-com rush and everything that's going on. He's like, the fundamentals are still the same. It's all different. So the, I'm going to now sound like my father. The fundamentals are still the same. So if I'm going to listen to the Delhi podcast, I should know before the podcast starts, what am I getting? I'm getting an entrepreneurial look at some sort of business. If you suddenly throw me a curveball and have, you know, J.R. Smith on talking about being out in Miami after winning championships, like that's not what I'm expecting on the Delhi podcast. And as much as it might be a good podcast, it sends your listener a curveball and that's a big mistake. So you've got all, every young podcaster, your listeners should know what you're going to get. They should get it. You should tell them they got it. You should tell them they're going to get it again. And then you should deliver it again and then redo that cycle. That's what successful audio is, is that I know when I click on demand, what I'm going to get. If I get something else, the break of trust is really a significant moment in that relationship. So that if I'm going to Locked On Jazz and you don't give me Locked On Jazz, even in during all of this social justice and other things that have been going on, if I, if I suddenly give you a 30-minute diatribe on Black Lives Matters, which might be really important to me, that's not what you came for. I've got to be really careful about that moment as a podcast host that I'm not breaking the trust because now the next time you push that button to go to the show, you're not sure what you're going to get anymore. And so you don't go to the same authority. I think that's really the number one lesson. Like if you're going to start a podcast, don't go do 12 episodes that are all different. I'll have no idea what you are and who you are and what you're doing. Do one thing and do it really, really well and deliver the same thing. The last one I would tell you, and hopefully we've done this today. Make people smile. <laughs> Make people smile. You don't know it, but a smile gives like an endorphin rush that makes you feel good. If you're driving in your car, old days, we're going to go old day radio here, and you were driving your car, listen to the radio, whether it's the morning show host or the afternoon drive sports host, and they did something to make you smile and laugh. The next day, when you drove by that same spot, your brain will click in and remind you of that experience. Oh, let me go back to that. You're not quite sure why you just went back to that show. It's not that conscious, but subconsciously, they made you happy. They gave you a good endorphin. It's really not that different than the sugar buzz of why we're all eating cinnamon gummy bears all the time during COVID. It's the same little bounce. So as much as your topic might be serious, um, make people smile. So be authentic, be consistent and make people smile. Extremely helpful advice. Appreciate you coming on. Where can people find out more about you or the Locked On uh, Podcast Network? So they can follow me at Locked On Sports on Twitter and they should only do that if they want a really lot of geeky NBA notes that are really second level stuff. Um, as you have, I don't know if you've unfollowed me yet, Deli. Um, about no, the, I still follow you. <laughs> a lot of geeky stuff. If you are, have a favorite sports team, Go to your podcast provider and search Locked On, your favorite sports team's name, and we will have it for you. If you're Australian, go to Locked On AFL and go listen to Josh and Kane. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Up the great work. I hope to see you in person this year. Uh, for all we know, I'll see you a lot. Sounds good. Thank okay. you. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I'd love to hear what you think of this episode as I'm always looking for ways to improve and make the show even better. 
You can leave a review at The Deli Podcast in iTunes or within Apple's podcast app. Really appreciate your feedback. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to my podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, or wherever else you tune in to listen. Talk to you next week.